I, I don't live in, in Ford country. How how's it going in Ford country? You can't call you can't start calling it that. <laughs> that can't be we can't call it Ford Country. That's terrible. Ford Terrio. On Fordable. <laughs> They'll probably take that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so obviously this thing happened this week where there was an election and both of our predictions were wrong from the previous podcast, so mm-hmm. oops. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that, can can we do some shout outs? A little bit of shout outs for some people who've been uh, supporting us. Yeah, of course. We had a surprise from the Selkirk College Students Union, and mm-hmm. uh, they put forward a motion at a student meeting to support us financially and thank you Selkirk College Students Union (laughs) that's so nice totally also I was at this event this week um organized by Operation Black Vote Canada which is an organization trying to increase political participation for black people in Canada and it was a black women's summit and many of the people there listened to the podcast and I was just so warmed by that and so happy by it. We got lots of good feedback. So thank you all for making me feel so great and for all of your feedback on the podcast. I so appreciate it. Do you have any shout outs? I would shout out the Selkirk College Students Union as well. They specifically talked about the donation being made partly as a way to stand in solidarity with me for what happened uh, in April. So that's uh, that's quite a great gesture. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of costs, actually. We are fundraising, of course, on Patreon, but the money that's being donated there will be used very, very well. So thank you for that. And if you're listening and you're part of a executive and you're like, hey, where can we give a couple of bucks to? You, you know, think about us. Why not? <laughs> think about us. And also, we have started to release uh, some transcripts because we didn't meet our goal to be able to afford transcripts of these episodes to make it more affordable. So if you check our website, we'll be updating them as they go. And that donation from uh, the students organization, if it did pass, I don't know if it did, but you know, if it did, if it did, (laughs) if we get that, um, it will go towards both the cost of transcription and making the transcribed episodes bilingual. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Okay. Back to the sad news. (laughs) So what happened? I know what happened. I think you know what happened. Oh, what happened? I mean, we could start with talking about Andrea Horvath's speech the night of the election, where she was pretty drunk. Well, here's the thing. So I, I, as an organizer, was in an organizing meeting that night with BLM. And so I didn't see any of the coverage. I just was you know, frantically updating my phone. So tell me about the speech as though I never saw it because I didn't. I got many messages telling me that I had to check out the speech because I too didn't pay attention to the results exactly um, as I would have normally because I had an early morning flight. And so I saw that Doug had won and then I went right to bed at about nine o'clock Eastern time. Um, But it's just, it's just a goofy sidebar that 
she, she, you should go look it up. She's speaking really slowly, like uncomfortably slowly <laughs> with no rhythm. Oh no. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> well, you know what? She deserves to be, you know, she, she deserved to be rhythmless. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say. <laughs> to be in celebration because I do think the NDP ran a very good campaign compared to campaigns of years past. Yes. As we've discussed before, I, I think that their large increase of support has a lot to do with running people who are embedded in the community. And I think that that showed on election night. So there was a lot to be happy about. You know, there's uh, self-identified socialists who are now elected to the Ontario legislature, activists, people who are real community organizers who I've known for a long time, who have been uh, working on the ground for their communities, who are now MPPs. And I'm excited and also nervous to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's some there's some good, you know, it's not all... <laughs> There is some good. No, there is some good. The the very good news is an official opposition to the NDP. They have, what, 40 members of provincial parliament elected. There's a lot that they can do to stop Doug Ford, but it will require the NDP to do things differently. It will require them to be an activist party. It will require them to think not just about how something might poll, but what social movements are saying to advance certain things. And there's people who are in the caucus that understand that in a very deep level. So I'm very excited to see how these folks maneuver around the progressive conservatives, which is a party that is pretty clearly in crisis. Like they they won the election fully in spite of themselves. In spite of themselves. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, like Ford could have been an operative placed there by... Uh, like actual like, like actual us. communists or something <laughs> by, just, us. Just by us yeah we, <laughs> we put in there um and so it's there's a lot like i wrote in an article about this for the national observer saying that um i think that people mostly voted for the party and not for doug ford that um that they could have run a sponge wearing urine and the sponge would have won mm-hmm and not necessarily just for the party, but against that other party. Well, they voted against the, the liberal. liberals, and I think we can, we should definitely the, spend... Or should should we say former party? Because <laughs> I don't know if they're an official party anymore. They're I not. Just, what's, the, what's the term that... What, what do we call them now? They're a caucus of, of seven. The group of mm-hmm. seven, which sounds far more official than even a caucus. So maybe they're just like the ragtag bunch of... Folks. Schemers? Schemers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just being cheeky. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's worth uh, talking about um, the the focus that, that people had on Doug Ford at the expense of the, the reaction that people had to the liberals. I think it was really a cynicism that underpinned the 15 years that they were in power. And, you know, Ontario has a long history of dynasties that for sure voter fatigue played a role in this. But I think it's very fascinating that that they they could have maintained it. But for every good policy they put forward, 
they managed to take something else away or they lied about the policy or they communicated it in a way that would leave you more pissed than if you didn't have the help in the first place. It's the schemey way of doing things. But then, but then, you know, we have this other party where, you know, they're, they're making promises that I'm sure they'll enact that are just terrible, <laughs> terrible promises that are going to, going to make things a lot worse. And I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out in my mind, like, what is going on that the policies that are really going to have a significant impact on the way that people are able to survive in this province weren't the things that were really being talked about. And I think one of the things that I've uh, come up with is, well, before I get there even, I think that there's a lot to be said about how much um, the electorate uh, lacks political education, partially because of the way our education system works, partially because of the way our media works. And, and that makes it difficult to have an honest campaign and an honest public conversation around any sort of election campaign. But I also think that the way that we get our information and the way that we share the debate around a political campaign is like designed for the 1950s. And we are now in the now <laughs> and and the system around how we provide that information hasn't changed. And so, for example, whereas um, in, you know, decades past, if a candidate were to tell a lie about a policy or to make something up, um, journalists would have had a little bit more time to do more research, uh, to put out a long form analysis and could potentially destroy someone's political career. Today, someone can stand up in front of a debate uh, where a moderator is asking very specific questions and respond with what sounds like like nothing, that sounds like ridiculousness because it's not in response to the question. And, and then those responses can then be cut and create created into little ads that benefit the campaign anyway. It's like free video. Do you know what I mean? It's like we have we have a debate system where you know someone can ask uh, these questions, uh, the politicians can respond to whatever they want, which has nothing to do with the question. So one the one of the examples that I'm thinking of is when in the in the CBC debate when Farah asked all the parties around a question about sexual assault and sexual harassment being an issue within each caucus during the last session. And um, the NDP answered the question, the Liberals answered the question, and Doug Ford said something about um, his caucus being very diverse and that the NDP supports Nazis. And, hmm. you know, there's there's nothing that's in the setup that makes some sort of interjection into that sort of statement to say, hey, that's not something that... Um, we asked you or you're being ridiculous or to the audience or to anybody who would have turned on at that time that this is outrageous. It's just the, the, the format that we have is like a 30 second, you have 30 seconds to say whatever you want. And then the way that that benefits a party that understands that, like the conservatives later, is that they take the debate footage that they have, they chop it up, they create it into little ads that are targeted on Facebook 
that they can then share over and over and over again, devoid of the actual questions and the debate, devoid of the back and forth. And it's just content for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? So there's there's just so much surrounding how the medium has changed with respect to uh, communication during an election campaign. And, you know, the folks who are responsible for creating the mechanisms by which we have these debates publicly, by which we share these inform- this information, haven't responded in such a way to, to, to change the terms or the structure through which we ha- we get that information, and it doesn't make sense. So I think that that's part of what's happening, because very often during the campaign, I would talk to people who are in my life who I would have heard were voting conservative, who just simply didn't have all the information or had incorrect information that they were getting from targeted ads online or mm-hmm. through word of mouth. Well, the problem is that the media is playing the exact same game. Uh, the media needs those sound clips as well. And they don't need it to get someone elected necessarily, but they need it to get people to come to their website and watch the 60 second or 30 second clip too. And so the format actually does benefit them in this in the way that media is structured currently. So it's kind of a double, there's a double whammy effect that nothing good comes out of it and both the sides are playing mm-hmm. this a similar game because of how just because of how politics and how uh, how corporate media has been fully transformed and they're all kind of chasing the same audience in a way but for different purposes mm-hmm. but while you were talking about that I was I was also thinking about how the Canadian parliamentary system is underpinned by the idea that people operate fairly and in good faith, and honestly. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're seeing now is that politicians understand that they don't need to act fairly, honestly, and in good faith to get elected. Or to govern. And so... (laughs) At all. Or to govern. And so the conventions of good governance are completely out the window. And then the press is just kind of operating as if it's like, Nothing has changed, as you said. And I, I actually think that that does just as much damage as the selective sharing of information that you also referenced, because the combination means that people can hear something and still give the benefit of the doubt, uh, in this case to Doug Ford, that, you know, he's saying he's going to reduce gas prices. You don't stop to say, can he even do that? Because the first reaction you don't necessarily have is this guy is a giant liar because at some level he made it through a system, a political system that rewards people operating in good faith, which of course it does not. And I don't know how to combat that because no one likes to think that people are operating in such bad faith, I feel. Mm-hmm. And there's no mechanism within the current electoral system to challenge that type of bad faith participation from candidates so far as I can tell. Like you mean like a sanction or something if they were to just straight up lie? Yeah, I was trying to look to see if there was something that if I could make a complaint about, you know, some misleading literature that I had delivered to my door that I was concerned about. And I couldn't find anything. And so I I don't, you know, maybe I'm incorrect and it does exist. And it's just very, very difficult for a highly politically motivated and educated person like myself, let alone 
you know, your average person <laughs> so, uh, to find. But I, I would hazard a guess that not being able to find it means that it, it doesn't exist in any useful way. And so, you know, as 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 this type of political participation becomes more common, because, you know, this isn't this isn't necessarily new. It's just far more um, the saturation of it is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're going to need to figure out how to deal with it, well, whether or not we're going to deal with it as a society and how how one does that. But th- this isn't the only thing that's responsible for the election. You had uh, written up on your Facebook um, a kind of like, hey, all you're trying really hard. This is great. Doug Ford's still going to win <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of post. And um, do you want to explain like where you were at, like coming from, you know, watching from the outside when you were writing that? Like, what are the factors that made you think? Because at that point, were you thinking a majority or were you still thinking minority territory? I wasn't thinking either. I was I just thought he was going to win for sure. But I was seeing um, a narrative emerge mostly from liberal supporters Mm -hmm. that were trying to make this a showdown between Trump and Clinton. Sorry, what? Yeah, that 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 we would be hoping for Clinton and then surprised by Trump. So it was actually that that I was responding to. Wait, I don't understand. <laughs> who's 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 Clinton in this scenario? When? I said they're liberal supporters, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I just that's okay. It's it's ridiculous, right? So that's obviously I was motivated yes. by, you know, wanting to talk about that level of rid- ridiculousness. There's there's this like self-deception that I feel that people play far too often. The NDP during this last election was not playing this game. And, and part of my Facebook post was like, most of the people who would be interested in reading this are going to be pulling the vote. And so good luck and pull the vote, right? Good luck. I was worried that we would enter into a new world where Doug Ford was the premier and the biggest message from political thinking people from the center to the left was going to be surprise and shock. And that's what I was hoping to kind of like preempt and say, look, Mm -hmm. like there is no shock here. There's no surprise here. We have the tools to fight this guy and we need to not find ourselves on Friday morning in despair because he didn't win because sorry, because he did win. And because Mm -hmm. uh, our, you know, the NDP didn't win because there was like, Facebook was really strange. My Facebook was pretty much 95% Horvath's going to win this election. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I don't know what your Facebook looked like, but it was overwhelming. Horvath is going to win. Well, I was pulling the vote, so I don't know what my Facebook looked like either, but (laughs) (laughs) definitely I was surprised by many things. I was surprised by who won which races from the NDP, pleasantly surprised. I was also surprised that it was a majority. I didn't think that it would be, and I do think, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether the liberals delivered that majority to the conservatives. It doesn't really matter, I don't think. I just, it's it's like, you're right, you know, what regardless of 
what happened, we were always going to have to take this fervor and put it into organizing afterwards. And as we discussed on a previous podcast, and I, uh, in terms of training, and I just, you know, like now is the time when it's going to be so important for us to really start organizing for a long game. Because if Doug Ford's progressive conservatives <laughs> do what most conservative parties do when they get into power in this type of a situation. Um, We're going to find a lot of uh, programs uh, dismantled quite quickly in such a way that uh, it'll be difficult to to get them back. And so that doesn't mean that, you know, we just respond with rallies and uh, with demos, although, and direct action, although we should do those things, absolutely. We also need a longer term strategy of how we're going to be rebuild when that happens, because the effects of the Mike Harris years and the, the destruction of social programs during that time were still being felt at this point in time in all sorts of sectors. Um, I'm, and I'm particularly thinking about education, not least of which is education. And that work, I, 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 I just, you know, given what Doug Ford has promised and what I think he is quite clearly going to do, and, and you know, he stated um, in, in his first uh, press conference that he, you know, everything that all the services that the government offers will be put out to tender. You know, it's going to be difficult to rebuild unless we have some sort of plan for rebuilding from the get-go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it's actually really basic stuff. Um, I saw one comment on Facebook asking if the NDP has plans to make sure that their constituency offices are actually local organizing hubs, which they aren't normally. But that's an important question. Mm-hmm. My partner was like, who's mm-hmm. tracking the gas prices as of right now to just have the data on what the gas prices are doing so you can show that Ford is like just got in on a on a on a lie about dropping gas gas prices same thing with hydro you know the 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 not-for-profits that exist that do research need to be in lockstep with the organizations that are doing frontline service work that would use their research need to be in direct uh, contact with unions who work in those sectors and there's no time anymore for any reason for anybody to not be working together. This is where you need to have coalition building. This is where you need to have creative ideas for direct action. And then and going back to the, the question about how much good faith and lying about good faith has played a role in this, I, I think that the, the corollary to that is that the left needs to express anger and indignation in a way that it hasn't figured out how to do it. Broadly speaking, there's groups that that express anger very effectively, but I feel like far too often it is like mushy middle, like lovey, hopey, changey kind of stuff that I actually don't think resonates with people. I think if you poll someone about it, it's like, yeah, I like hope. Okay, great. But does it actually resonate with people or do we have the capacity to communicate an anger and the vehicles 
that we have to address that anger. And I think we do, but I don't, I don't know if that's the kind of conversations that, that the folks are having, or if it's more like, oh my God, batten down the hatches. This is going to be a rocky four years. Yeah. And I think it's a, like, I think what you're, you're naming is really important about what can be done in these four years with the activists that are in the, the legislature right now. And the type of cultural shifts that can shifts that can be created, because I do think that some of those people, and as we saw during the campaign, do know how to have no nonsense political conversations, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we also saw during the campaign folks struggling with having those no nonsense political conversations. So I'm talking about, you know, the discovery of Giratan Singh's fuck the police sign. Right. That is. <laughs> You know, in the next four years, if that type of rhetoric and that type of talking about issues like, yeah, fuck the police, they're they're racist, (laughs) Um, gets discussed by people who have uh, an increased level of political legitimacy because of their election, that's important opportunity. That's an important opportunity for a political shift. Uh, now, he apologized and said, you know, like, I've grown since grown since then and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I hope that that's not true and that that, you know, he was just playing a political game in order to to do what he thought had to be done to get elected. Because I, I can't see why you would understand that the police are racist at one point And then, it's, you know, today when there's, I think, um, more popular education around um, what the police have been doing change that you know everybody everybody who'd be paying attention would know that whatever apology or statement that comes out is bullshit and is just playing a political game so you know th- these folks have an opportunity to change the way we talk about politics Jill Andrews um, calling uh, chief the police Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders a coon which by the way white folks listening When black people use the word coon, it does not mean the same thing as when white people use the word coon. It is a very different meaning, (laughs) which was really bugging me throughout the campaign. Anyway, um, Jill Andrews calls him a coon, which, you know, many people have called him a coon. I think I've called him a coon (laughs) because... that's what makes sense for what's happening. Like, that's what he is, you know, like, and her saying that um, is is having a political conversation about the way that this it, and it's kind of like an insider conversation within black um, community about the way that uh, Mark Saunders has betrayed black people. And she should be able to have that conversation with her community as an MPP mm-hmm. and change the culture around the ways that MPPs are able to discuss these things. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about a lot of the, the women of color and black women in particular and indigenous women who got elected. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, 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 hoping that they have the freedom to be able to. Well, no, they do have that freedom, like, you know, whether or not uh, someone tries to control them, they do have that freedom, actually, to say and to to force a different type of political conversation. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any follow up on a threat kind of post that Lindsay Shepard, who was the T.A. um, from Laurier, 
was talking about Laura May Lindo, who got elected uh, in Kitchener for the NDP. I love her. I love Laura May Lindo. Oh, yeah. Hi, Laura. She listens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> Um, and, and Lindsay Shepard was trying to make a big deal about whether or not the, the office that she was the head of at, at Laurier apologized to her. And the problem is, is that that kind of discussion has political currency within the press. Mm-hmm. And for sure, there will be pressure for an apology to go to Lindsay Shepard. And it's like, first of all, you fucking deserve nothing. Second of all, this is obviously a political game that you're playing now with a newly elected member of provincial parliament who has just demonstrated mm-hmm. the democratic will of the people of Kitchener Center. So th- th- these kinds of things are going to come up a lot. Um, I've already seen uh, Joel Harden be very, very direct on Twitter towards Doug Ford, which I thought was great. <laughs> But but yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. And, and the, the NDP MPPs need to feel like people have their back if they're going to be able to go out on a limb and, and do what they feel like yes. is right, number one. But but also what can be just as dis- difficult is people have to have their back if they're going to fight the party establishment who's just going to say apologize and it's going to go away. Like that is political comms number one, mm-hmm. like we're one on one apologize and it's going to going to go away but these are things that as you say like really should not be apologized for when there is no apology necessary no no when when something is uh ridiculous it should be responded to with with the same sort of like you know <laughs> ridiculum ridiculum <laughs> love <laughs> ridiculum i like that it should be responded to with ridiculum and indignation but um yeah. in addition to people having their backs, we're going to need the those newly elected MPPs uh, to have the backs of activists on the ground. They're going to need to use their positions, their access, the information that they are privy to that people other people are not privy to, and deliver that to the activists who need it on the ground mm-hmm. to have our backs in the way that we haven't experienced, uh, quite frankly, probably ever um, in a wide way. Uh, in this province uh, from elected representatives. Um, Another thing that I want to say is that I don't think, I think during the election, it it became very clear that we are, and using a very broad we, are not prepared to meet ridiculousness with uh, an appropriate level of ridiculum. And I think... You know, the amount of times that I heard Doug Ford say over and over and over again, not a single job will be lost in this province when I'm elected and never heard anyone respond with what the fuck are you talking about? Like, (laughs) is like, how could how could he be permitted to say that over and over and everyone respond as though he has said something of use? Mm hmm. Like, respond as though you are arguing with somebody who has said something intelligent that is like one side of a debate that isn't just bullshit. Like, nobody ever responded with, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) What do you you mean? And, you know, that to me really demonstrates that we, we haven't figured out how to deal with the Trump style, I'm just going to say, you know, throw shit on the wall and see what sticks. And and also, 
you know, one of the first things that Doug Ford said in his premier electship um, was, well, he was asked whether or not he would go to Pride. And he said that he would attend Toronto's Pride, provided it was an inclusive Pride where the police uh, were permitted to attend. And so listeners probably know that um, after a protest by Black Lives Matter a few years ago, there was a demand uh, to not have the police march in Pride in uniform any longer because the police should not be supported by Pride when they are targeting Black community, and uh, trans community, Indigenous community in the ways that they do. And so he says this, the journalist immediately calls BLM and she says, oh my God, the question that she wanted to ask us was, will Black Lives Matter be assisting Pride and Doug Ford in having and the police in having conversations to make sure that Doug Ford and the police can participate in Pride this summer? That was the question. And I was just like, that's a very, very weird question to be asking. Doug Ford is the premier, okay? He is responsible. He will be responsible for the way that police interact with the citizenry and people who aren't citizens and whatever in this province. That's going to be partially his responsibility. You know, we, we need journalists who are sophisticated enough to understand that when he says something like that and when he's baiting activists and people in particular communities, that the question should be, what are you going to do to ensure that the police are not targeting these communities? Not some sort of sensational, is this tiny activist group that, you know, is all volunteer and doesn't get paid going to coordinate meetings between Pride and Doug Ford because Doug Ford feels that this is an uninclusive situation? Like, we can't just play into their game. We have to be sophisticated enough to have an appropriate measure of ridiculum for the ridiculousness. Yeah, that's a tall order, though, when you've got uh, journalists that would ever put those words together and call that a question. It's um, th th That's the really sad state of affairs, is that never has journalism been more important and never has it been under such attack. You know, you can get conspiratorial about what Paul Godfrey and the National Post or Post Media would be doing, trying to destroy Canada's national press, um, the guy is a Tory, and obviously this all helps uh, the attack on local news, um, the, the rise of Sun News, like, you know, the Sun News machine to get these guys elected was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And folks like, like Sue Ann Levy. Full on propaganda. Oh, yeah. It was like, what in the fuck is this is not even close. This is not it's not journalism. It's not opinions journalism. It's like someone's blog that is not even well written, but it's in the pages of the sun and it's in coffee shops across the province and you're sitting down and you're just like oh i'll just read this it's like whoa okay we're gonna get a buck of beer or whatever uh or so and so is a terrorist or so and so is supporting the war on christmas or whatever the fuck mm -hmm. and so that's that's a real that's a real tough one for progressives to handle because on one side you've got these 
shadow organizations like Ontario Proud or 99 North, just pushing content out all the time to change the channel. And the tactics of Ontario Proud are the same tactics that these guys talked secretly about doing on campus. Oh, yeah. They had success at some campuses, but they had no success at the campuses that were organized. So that's kind of like one hint about how to fight against this kind of stuff. But but getting organized to confront this online assault is very difficult because, you know, other than like you've got press progress that will, I'm sure, continue to dig up really good, salacious, horrifying facts. But that's not enough either. It's like what what is the information war that we're about to endure Mm -hmm. and who are the journalists that are going to be fearless and keep fighting for that information? You know, I think the Toronto star has already demonstrated and the the globe has too, um, that there are folks there who are doing this kind of work, but like that's one city newspaper and one national newspaper for a province of, you know, 13 cities or whatever, like local news is going to have to get very serious about covering their local candidates or their local MPPs and, and seeing like, just, just pulling back the lies. Like every, there's so many lies in all of this stuff. It's like, it's like a, it's like journalism Easter morning, like just go looking for the lies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and give, give the appropriate time that it needs to discover those lies. Like some of this stuff, you know, is going to take a long gaze to to discover and it's not all going to be Twitter typed Twitter style news and we need we need to spend the resources doing the research to unveil the things that society should know about and um, you know like uh, one of the things that uh, a friend of mine said to me recently about the campaign was you know the 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 conservative campaign is being investigated by police uh, because of their uh, you know, the way that they retrieved some data that should have been private um, from the 407 and so on, like different uh, campaign improprieties or mm-hmm. the er- weird things that were happening. But mm-hmm. the conservatives also have a relationship to police unions. So is that going to have an impact? Is there anybody who's looking into that? Has anybody even written about it? You know, like it's these types of questions and critical thinking that we're going to need to see from uh, journalists in the next four years. And we don't have a lot of time for people to get really good at it. So maybe you should go back into journalism, Nora. (laughs) Maybe that's the solution. For progressives (laughs) who are who are now looking at this and thinking like, you know, where do we start and how do we how do we fight this? And I did write about this as well. Like, I actually think it's quite easy that these folks, the cracks are going to emerge. You're going to get information from press progress. You're going to get information from investigations in some of the mainstream um, outlets or from the Canadian press. Every single crack needs to be blown open by progressive campaigners. And we already see we've already seen the impact of that. Right. Uh, The the whole secret leaked tape about the green belt. Great example of the pressure that is required to change their minds. Now, they're a kind of political, I guess they're a kind of politician. The entire caucus of the of the conservatives are, are a kind of politician that is not going to back down on some issues, but modifying the program or making their lives hell or 
like how many occupations have the conservatives held over the past number of years at queen's park like quite a few how many occupations have the ndp had i don't know actually (laughs) (laughs) so now is time to do that and then to, to take those hot hot button issues like hydro like gas and very importantly, like sex ed and, and mm-hmm. f- figuring out who are the allies that might be out there that you have never worked with before. Who do you need to explain in this situation? Like my, I had another shitty week on Twitter, unsurprisingly, and there's a lot of people telling me what's in the curriculum, which is not true, which is over the top and it's all coming from like <laughs> Americans or something. And so mm-hmm. this this is another read the curriculum, people. Well, it's, but it's like who has anyone boiled it down into an image? Has anyone like made it so that you can just see it and be like, oh, I see what you're like, what they're literally learning, you know? Because a lot of times people mm-hmm. are, are hung up on, well, don't you want to have them understand STIs? And it's like, um, yes, you do. Um, is that really new? Like I learned that in school, in a Catholic school at that, like help walk me through this you know what I mean like like really what are we actually talking about here that's new and what is it what's being blown out of the water by these um by these over-the-top religious zealots that are trying to get a toehold into the public education system which they have succeeded in doing and revising curriculum in ways that uh that are like Mm -hmm. ancient so I think you know I think that's a good kind of like post-mortem look at how you you know just a a smattering of issues that came up over the campaign and I think that Nora next week we should talk about what to do next because I've been getting a lot of questions from people being like I want to organize but I don't know how and my message to you is yes you do or I will tell you or if you don't have time here's some places to give some money or There might be many ors, but I think that that's the crucial thing that we need to do next week is just give everybody a little bit of a little ideas, a few ideas. I like it. And if you have ideas too, like get in touch with us and we'll mention your ideas if they're good. Mm -hmm. And if you have anything that have already started or plans that you already have, let us know if you're involved in like a writing association that was particularly active and wants to become an activist group, like Nora said, are you doing it? Let us know about that. Uh, if you're an activist who has already a plan moving forward for the next four years, tell us about it and we'll talk about it uh, on the next show. Well, we probably should mention that there's a rally for decent work in Toronto. That's right. On June 16th. So that's right. At 1 p.m. at Queen's Park, a rally for decent work. You know, Doug Ford has promised to roll back some of the good things that the liberals, positive things that the liberals had done responding to a lot of labor activism in the province. And there will be a rally for decent work this Saturday at 1. Hope to see you there. I will definitely be there. And uh, it's the type of thing that we need to get used to doing. So come out. Mm-hmm.